Baruch Hashem, obviously. I'm good, you know? I just ate an orange. I poured myself a cup of coffee. Put my hair in a bun. Ready to get down to business. I have a D&D game today that I'm very excited about. And I'm equally as excited about D&D as I am about the snacks. Because the person who DMs our D&D group is passionate about picking a snack and making it for each session. So I always know that there's going to be really delicious snacks to be consumed. They make the snack? or do Well, they... like this week, the snack is baked potatoes. So one person is getting and baking the potatoes, and then another person is just going to bring a huge array of scrumptious baked potato fixins. Wow. Okay. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. So I'm really excited for that. Is there anything else going on in my life? You know, just keeping on, keeping on. Every time I go on social media, I regret it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I regret it instantaneously yeah i either see some of the most heinous right-wing shit i've ever seen in my life immediately you know or i see some people using every ounce of power they have to make each other miserable over whatever social capital is there to be gained in the moment and that stinks both of those things i feel like affect my brain negatively you know, like, it's not just in the moment. I'm like, this is unpleasant in this moment. It feels like they, they are, like, deleterious to my overall vibe. Mm, okay, they yeah. They decay the vibe. I've never really got those feelings from right-wing people. Mm -hmm. I've only got those feelings from centrist-type people who are kind of oblivious. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember super early on being fascinated with the Louis Thoreau documentary videos where he, like, went and visited the Westboro Baptist Church people. Right. Big theme of the pod. You brought this up recently. Did I? Oh, wait. Or maybe it was in our secret meeting. I think it was in our secret meeting. Okay. Stricken for the record. Super, super secret meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. For some reason, it doesn't bother me so much. You know, social media, it's like a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's depressing and terrible. Mm -hmm. In my case, it makes me feel like I'm not doing enough. All these people are very successful, and I'm not right. successful, or I'm not working hard. Right. Absolutely. But on the other hand, I've found some incredibly brilliant people through the internet who have expanded my mind in ways that that's so true i love how know? dare you bring nuance to this discourse what the fuck yeah i mean the internet computers uh more to come on that in future episodes <laughs> much to think about much to think about we're priming you michael hi how are you Oh, you know, thinking I'm not worthy of anything, but also inspired by the people I find on the internet, you know. Uh-huh. Uh um, inspired in a good way or inspired to feel bad about yourself? Oh, both. Oh, great. Great, great, it's great. Cool, sword. cool, 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 cool. You know what's kind of interesting? It's like knowing Sam. Mm-hmm. Friend of the pod, Sam Bichetti. Sam is one of these people who is, I think, inspirational to people who listen to his historian, Splanning Pond. He's like, you know, mm -hmm. quite the erudite, even-handed historian dude. Quite the erudite little homo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an interesting case, because I met him in real life. Mm -hmm. Now he's also... A micro-influencer. Yeah, now he's a micro-influencer. It's it's <laughs> kind of... It's it's curious. Are we micro-influencers? Is that what we are? Uh, I don't, I don't know. So. I just know it one time someone... One time someone reached out to me 
and I quote, in my capacity as a Jewish influencer. And oh my God, oh, my heart withered. <laughs> yeah, when oh, I read those words. Oh, no. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know. I don't think so. I hope if we are influencing anyone, it's in positive ways. I think influencers mostly exist to be like vectors of product placement. I feel like the only products we advertise are historians planning ourselves, God. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Catholicism occasionally gets a guest spot on the pod. Yeah, seems. yeah. Well, sorry about that. <laughs> well, you know the thing about Catholicism or any type of Christianity. Yeah, like like us Jews, we don't really have a consistent metaphysics that influences our moral code. You know what I mean? I don't. I'm not sure I agree with that statement at all. Well, you do, and maybe I do, and maybe we have some consensus on what that is, but I feel like across the board, you know? Yeah, but if you're comparing us to Catholics, it would be more accurate to compare a single denomination of Judaism to Catholics than the entirety of Judaism. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, what am I complaining about, really? I I don't really know what the place of metaphysics underpinning morality is within Judaism. Like, on the one hand, are you even supposed to talk about it? Right. And Mm -hmm. it's not like there's a, oh, if you're one of those type of people who wants to know that kind of shit, this is the group you should hang out with. If you're one of those people in the Catholic Church... Mm-hmm. they're like oh just go be a dominican and like you know with the protestant churches they're all like look 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 this is our metaphysics this is what we disagree on we don't think that the holy spirit proceeds from the father right. and the son just I the mean, father you know whatever i will say in the christianity that i grew up with something that's really different from judaism is like every church if you go to their website almost always has a page that is sort of like their doctrine of beliefs which is mostly this page serves as a way for them to let you know hot button both theological and social issues so a doctrine of beliefs might read something like we believe in like the trinity the virgin birth the literal truth of the bible marriages between a man and a woman yada yada Basically, like, it's really common for churches to have pages that are like, here are all the things if you want to figure out if people at this church are going to agree with you. And that even wouldn't wouldn't even be possible at a synagogue. <laughs> no, that wouldn't be possible. And even that page in the church is not really what I'm talking about. That's the second step. That's reasoning based on the, the metaphysic. But you can go and look up online and figure out, like, what the difference between a Methodist and, like, a whoever is. Mm-hmm. But you, can't, you just can't really do that with reform at the metaphysical level in comparison to conservative maybe you can i feel like it takes more work how did i get to this um we talked about catholicism having a guest spot on our pod you know michael if if i ever need to fill up airtime i just have to drop the word catholicism and it'll send you off into a dizzy you know what it is you know what it is jews need Stained glass. More hats. More hats. More hats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More varieties of hat. Actually, there is this temple in like upstate New York that has Chagall stained glass windows. The conservative shul in Providence has has uh, stained glass. Yeah, but it's conservative. They would just kick me out if I walked in. <laughs> no, they, well, I go there. I go there all the time. I am not classy enough to walk into a conservative shul. It's just, Michael. Don't. That's not true. (laughs) We've gone there together now that I think about it. You fool. You buffoon. Yeah, I was your arm candy at the time. Yeah, and my wheelchair pusher. 
which I think is even better than our even more prestigious role, frankly. Yeah, that's what let me in the door. Right. Oh, God, that was terrible. Remember trying to get in the synagogue that day? Oh, my God. Yeah. Getting their like single wheelchair accessible entrance. Anyway, this is not a podcast episode about shit talking accessibility at various Providence synagogues. This is a podcast nominally about queer Talmud, and in this moment about queer Talmud and its relationship to the finale of Russian Doll season two. Yes. It's hard to believe this moment has come. I feel like we've been covering Russian Doll for so long. When I said, let's make an episode for each episode of Russian Doll, I really didn't envision that it would take this long to get to the end, but it did. You didn't envision it. You literally knew that there were like, you know. I know. I mean, I knew. I know. I could have figured it out, but I wasn't thinking in exact terms in that moment. I was like, oh, how much Russian doll can there be? Can't take that long. But it took a long time. I mean, what I'm really saying when I say that is like, I can't believe how much we've grown and changed since we first started covering Russian doll. How have you changed? How have I changed? Let's see. When did we even start covering Russian Doll? It must have been like summer of last year. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I feel like my overall level of stability has increased, which is really nice. I feel like I was struggling for a really long time with like creative block relative to this podcast. And recently, as listeners will find out in a few episodes, broke through (laughs) that block which was really important for me. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just older and wiser. Mm-hmm. Now have I changed? How have you changed? Um, I don't know. You, I don't, I'm not going to answer the question for both of us. That's not fair. How have you changed, Michael? Same man. Same man. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure. You started playing the... F- uh, I, don't, I don't talk. <laughs> Why is the... F- the secret? I will say that I just started playing an instrument. There's some things that are boundaries, you know, mm-hmm. between your public and your private life. And what sure. <laughs> particular stringed instrument I may be dabbling in currently, that's part of my private life. It's just where I draw my boundary, and I want you to respect that. I will, happily. I've just chagrined. We've talked about dicks, pussies, love, hate, lust, everything else under the sun, but stringed instruments forbidden i don't know what to say just that's where my line is <laughs> i don't know oh you've learned so much about judaism and hebrew and like yourself and your own relationship to judaism and hebrew yeah i guess i have i know you might still feel like you're in a quagmire but i'm definitely in a quagmire you've come a long way baby okay thanks hava like even if you are unsure about your relationship to text and to Judaism as a whole, I feel like you approach text with a with a lot of confidence now. Yeah, I maybe comparatively. I think I can bullshit more. Like I have more tools under my belt for that. It's all it's all it's bullshit all the way down. Oh oh oh! I read this article in the New York Times, which I don't usually read, which I think you'd appreciate. Mm-hmm. They're able to figure out when fossils were made now based on like how flat the turtle shells are. Whoa. Under the rock, you know, because the yeah. turtle shell will be like more flat with more weight on top. So they can use the flatness of the turtle shell to date relatively, wow. maybe even absolutely in some cases, fossil ages. Anyway, turtles all the way down. Turtles, Michael's relationship to text growing every day. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, the finale of Russian Doll is an episode called Matryoshka. I feel like this summary is going to end up being super short because most of it, I feel like, is a sort of a tone piece uh, yeah, yeah, more definitely. than a plot piece. It's like a music video almost. We come in with a blue title, which we haven't seen since the first Alan episode, which, if you recall, starts with him in a bathtub. So that feels relevant. They're at the party, the original party, the party that started it all. And Nadia has herself as a baby, uh, and she's like, I'm going to raise myself again with myself as my mom, making a lot of assumptions about her own capability as a mother there. (laughs) And Alan is like, you have to give this baby back. You have to take this baby back to its own time. Time is collapsing. And Nadia's like, no, it's fine. And then they open the door, and what do they find outside instead of a party but a uh, yeshiva class? Yes. Uh, And the class in the yeshiva is studying the story of Korach, friend of the pod Korach. Yep, yep, yep. And talking about how Korach went down alive to the realm of the dead, which will continue to be very relevant. I didn't realize that until after I started doing the research, because I was like, who has ever gone to Sheol alive and... The only reference in Torah is Korach. Which is interesting. Okay, this is like, we're already digressing into text, but I just thought of like, what an interesting parallel to the notorious characters who sort of went to, quote, heaven without dying. Like Elijah, right? Got swept up in a chariot. And Korach is sort of like the mirror image of that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Alan cuddles the baby. It's very cute. They're arguing... The party is happening. Nadia doesn't want to give up her baby self. And then they're sort of like going to meet Ruth on the staircase. Ruth comes up and then like a thousand Ruths are coming up. Nadia is crying. They haven't explicitly said that Ruth is potentially dead yet in this episode. But I think Nadia knows what she's avoiding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least at the most basic level, Nadia knows that she's not going to be able to interact with Ruth the way she would like to because in this time-fractured place, there's many Ruths who all are acting like non-player characters. Right. So she finally accepts that she has to take the baby back to the 80s. So she and Alan go to the subway platform and the train won't come. There's a weird hot air balloon guy on the street selling hot air balloon rides. I don't know what's up with that. They chase after a subway worker. And who should it be except for a horse? Yeah, horse. Our our noble psychopomp. We talked about in episode one of season two that horse appears right before Nadia is transported through time. And he's also a big figure in season one. So clearly, like, fulfilling his role as ferryman. Mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. dead souls really literally here because they're like can you tell us how to find our train and he's like yeah come on and he walks them down this long hallway one good quote as he's walking is he just says without explaining babies are true materialists oh yeah yeah good line <laughs> which felt true although i can't say why oh yeah babies are materialists we just all know and so he leads them to their train and makes them pay up. So Nadia gives him some money. And then he's like, Alan, you have to pay too. And this is the moment that I realized that he was literally being a ferryman of the dead. Because he makes a point of making Alan pay. Something about that made me realize like, oh, he's providing a service, one individual service to each of them. 
mm-hmm. rather than the service of navigating for the whole group. He's like ferrying each soul across and everyone has to pay the toll. So they get on their train and the gang's all there. Lizzie says they're going to be late for the wake because the train is stopped. So that's when Nadia realizes that it's Ruth's wake. Not only is it Ruth's wake, but she missed Ruth dying, which is a really big fucking deal. And she completely breaks down. Everyone else is really nice about it, but she's really hard on herself about it. Yeah. So I guess this now we know that uh, wake, that means that uh, Ruth was a Catholic. Did we already know that Ruth was a Catholic? Other All kinds of people have wakes, Michael. What? Yeah. Jews don't have wakes. I don't know about Jews. Jews have our own thing going on, but all kinds of Christians, I mean. Oh, okay. Never mind. I know you want, not everyone is Catholic, Michael. Can't believe we're having to deal with Protestant phobia in the year of our Lord 2023 on this podcast. What do you mean? I think it's very reasonable to be afraid of Protestants. (laughs) Fair. Nadia is really, really freaking out. Alan picks her up and takes her away, and they keep walking down the subway tracks. He has a really good quote during this walk and talk where he says, we can't escape being the product of the things we can't change, which is very true. And then as they're walking along the way, they get hit by trains, it seems. This is where the tone piece really takes off. They both fall into sort of their own pocket dimensions, Mm -hmm. into a pool of water, immediately reminiscent of a mikvah, reminiscent of the bathtub from alan's first alan episode alan pretty much just like gets up and he's like okay here i go and he finds a blue door immediately and goes through it nadia on the other hand is sort of floundering around for a while she has the baby and then she sees the bag of krugerrands and she's trying to take her bag of krugerrands but she can't take the bag and the baby so she decides to just keep the baby Mm mm-hmm Good call, Nadia. We flash back to Alan, and he's hanging out with his grandma, who is like a subway tunnel architectress. Potentially afterlife subway tunnel architectress. I think also like that seems to be her job. Maybe she's just yeah. an MTA employee. But now it's like, oh, wow, that's what a connection. She helped build the tunnel under the Berlin Wall, and now she works right. like in the tunnel. tunnel Building system. tunnels. Yeah. Right. They have a really good talk. She says, like, she doesn't know what happened to Lenny, the guy they were supposed to help escape the Berlin Wall. She doesn't know what happened, and that's okay. And Alan says some vulnerable things, like, he's so scared of doing the wrong thing. Did he do the right thing with Lenny? Everyone else seems to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. But I don't. That reminded me a little bit of our social media conversation, where it's like, you go online and everyone... Everyone seems to know. Yeah, whether or not you like them, they seem to at least be confident. Right. Whereas whereas you aren't. And the grandma was like, it's okay. I'm your grandma. Yeah, it was a very sweet interaction. It was very tender. Very tender, very nice. And now it's time for Nadia to have a tender interaction. She flounders around in the water for a little while more before she finds her own blue door. And it takes her to just her mom alone on a subway car. And she gets to have a conversation with her mom. She's like, what's the deal? And her mom's like, just because I came before you doesn't mean I have all the answers, which I thought was a really nice line. And then they're having this back and forth. And her mom says, if you could choose your mother all over again, would you choose me? Which was a very tender and vulnerable question. And Nadia sits there and cries about it for a second. And then she's like, 
I guess I didn't. I never chose you in the first place. That's not how it works. And she gives herself back to her mom, releases her inner child, accepts all the trauma that's ever happened to her in one grand symbolic gesture. And she sees Ruth on the way out and she says, you had no obligation, but you loved me anyway, which was quite beautiful. Yeah, very beautiful. And she's back, back to the present. Horse makes one last appearance and she goes back to Lizzie's for the wake, for Ruth's wake. War Dog, the guy who had joints in the first season, gives her a joint. I love that little scene. It was like, so like, oh, this sucks for you. Here's a joint. It's like, it's yeah. A- Here's some drugs. That scene really reflected like what a friend who goes to a funeral in your family, exactly the gesture that they should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And then she sees Alan, she gives him a little hug, and then she goes to the bathroom. The same blue light on the back of the door, blue light, blue title. Blue is a really big color in this episode. She looks in the mirror, which is the same first shot from the start of the series, and she just gives a little smile. And that's the end of season two. Yeah, that's the end. It was so good. Before we go into texts, Mm -hmm. this just occurred to me. Let's talk about little details that we liked. Okay. Little details. You have some in mind? Well, I love the war dog scene, for example. Yeah, the joint. The acting, the cinematography around that. Lots of long shots there. Mm -hmm. That type of relationship really well conveyed in that scene. It felt very realistic. I think... Things like the blue light. I don't know if you're going to talk about that with your text, with the blue title card, the blue light that Alan follows in order to get out of his time-broken universe, mm-hmm. the blue on the door, and the Sheol references, you know, the watery depths under the ground, that kind of stuff. Really liked right. those images. I don't know. This is very nice. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I really liked what you pointed out about Alan's grandmother being like digging the tunnel under the wall and then also digging a tunnel like for her job is a really good one. I think ending and beginning the series on the same shot. I mean, I don't know if they were going to do a season three. I don't know what it would even be. Although I could never have imagined after season one, could never have imagined what this would be. So maybe so. Natasha Leone is actually in a different show with Chloe Sevigny right now about Natasha Leon's playing like a poker player. I don't know. I'm going to have to watch it because seeing Chloe and Natasha reunited, I was like, what? These two people I've never seen in the same place before are now suddenly just in things together. There was a scene where there's chicken that goes into an oven and then the oven's on fire and then the chicken comes out of the oven, Mm -hmm. but it's raw. You know, time is going backwards or time is being weird. Do you think that oven is a Talmudic reference a little bit? Is that a little Talmudic nod? Oh, to the oven of Achnai? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like there's other stuff going on in the oven of Achnai that is not so thematically connected here. Okay. All right. Although I do like, I like that she has the yeshiva students studying Korach. Yeah. I mean, we get a line aloud about people going down into Sheol alive but you would never know necessarily unless you looked it up or if you just happened to know what they were talking about in that yeshiva and i like things like that just being tucked away we talked about a lot of great details in season one like the fact that i feel like she's really referencing the maimonidean understanding of repentance really struck a chord with me remind the listeners what that (laughs) is okay for the listeners (laughs) Whoever they may be, 
Maimonides' basic definition of repentance is that in order to have truly repented, you need to return to the circumstances in which you would have done the sin again and make a different choice. And I feel like she is like really adopting that model of repentance. The use of horse, which is a slang term for heroin, something that Natasha Leone had a heroin addiction. The use of horse as the psychopomp for the whole series, really intriguing detail. Just a lot. I mean, it's a really rich, seemingly really personal and, and beautiful series. Also just wild that it's like produced also by Amy Poehler. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. I mean, you see her name in the credits. It's one of the first names you see in the credits always. I mean, I think they probably didn't have her perform in the show at all because like she's too recognizable and like too... She wouldn't yeah. fit the tone, I think. Yeah. Um, but that's something I'm always thinking about. I mean, she could have just been like a money producer, you know? Right. Who knows? <sighs> Which one of us should do text first? Oh, uh, you go first. Why not? Okay. So I started with Korach. For those of you who don't recall, the story of Korach is this great and really important wild story that happens in Numbers. Uh, happens in the in the teens of numbers. It occurs over several chapters. Basically, Korah rolls up to Moses and he's like, how come God singled you out? Didn't he say we're all a nation of priests? So like we should all be holy and all get to do holy stuff in the temple. Great stuff. And Moses is like, what the fuck? And basically sets up a sacrifice, an incense contest. He's like, I'm going to do my incense and you do your incense. And if something miraculous happens, then that's how you'll know that God is with me and not with you. Although it might be Aaron who does the incense. I forget who the particulars of the incense contest. Anyway, they do a fucking incense contest. Moses says, and by this, you'll know that it was Hashem who sent me to do these things and that they're not of my own devising. If these people, Korach's crowds, death is that of a normal human death, And if their lot is a normal human fate, then it's not Hashem who sent me. But if Hashem brings about something unheard of, so that the ground opens its mouth and swallows them all up, and they go down alive into Sheol, you shall know that those involved have spurned Hashem. Scarcely had he finished speaking all these words when the ground under them burst asunder, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and all of their households, all Korach's people, and all their possessions. They went down alive into Sheol with all that belonged to them, and the earth closed over them, and they vanished from the midst of the congregation. And all the Israel around them fled at their shrieks, for they said, the earth might swallow us. So this is the story that they're studying in the yeshiva scene in the show, and obviously very relevant. Nadia and Alan go down the subway tunnel, a mouth in the earth, into the underworld and meet all kinds of shades and spirits. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, so I was just like thinking about what they're doing down there and basically that they're like going into what feels like a mikvah, right? Like they're going through a rebirth process. They go down there, they like meet their moms, they meet their grandma, and then they come out, you know, having had the opportunity to integrate their trauma and and become sort of new people, which is always what Rajendal, the arc of a season, seems to be about sort of transforming oneself into a better version of ourselves. And so I was thinking about mikvahs, of course. I'm just going to do all my text in one go because it's go, all really connected. Go for it, yeah. And I was thinking about this really great line, which is from Mishnah Yoma chapter 8, where they're talking about repentance 
And Rabbi Akiva says, How fortunate are you, Yisrael? Before whom are you purified and who purifies you? It is your Father in heaven. As it is stated, I will sprinkle purifying water upon you and you shall be purified. Ezekiel 36.25 And it says, The ritual bath, aka the mikvah of Yisrael, is God. Jeremiah 17.13 Just as a ritual bath purifies the impure, so too the Holy One, blessed be He, purifies Yisrael. I was really intrigued by this idea that like, I mean, one, this beautiful idea, right, that we're like, literally purified by Hashem, not just like Hashem does purification to us, but like dunking ourselves into a bathtub of Hashem is how we get purified. And that really feels connected to the journey that Nadia and Alan are going on. Like, not only are they going to the realm of the dead, which is maybe this sort of specific metaphysical place, but they're like, I don't know, I feel like going into the unknown and the infinite, like they're going into God in a way that feels yeah. very real. I think that's what the color blue is about, too, like the the blue door that they walk through in order to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Nadia finds her mother in a train car and Alan finds his grandmother working. That blue is the same blue that's the color of the vagina on the door in the original. Right, the vaginal geode. And then there's the blue light. There's kind of blue Jewish kitsch on the walls inside the yeshiva. Right, I mean, blue is a huge color in Judaism. Very important Jewish color. The secret Jewish history of blue. Yeah, blue's everywhere. Uh, You've heard of Autobiography of Red. Get ready for The Secret Jewish History of Blue. Only 1% of people are going to appreciate that joke, but it was a really good one. All right, I'll leave it in then. But yeah, and the the (laughs) blue title card, and they fall into the water, you know, in the weird temple, big column room with Mm -hmm. the uh, shallow water. So yeah, I think you're right. They are kind of like learning and journeying and being soaked in the god juice. Right. And I think one of the things that makes it feel so God juicy is whatever space they're in when they're underground in that mikvah, it's a space where anything is possible. You know, you can find your Krugerans, you can meet your dead mom, you know, like anything can happen in that space. And like that potentiality for me feels very connected to what God is, you know. If I were to find myself in Hashem, I would not expect the normal rules of reality to apply. Yeah, 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 sure. So, I was looking at the root of mikvah, which is kufav hay or kufav yud, which means to heap up or gather. So, mikvah is a place where the waters are like heaped up or gathered. And Jastro, in his entry for this root, kufav hay, he has a bonus that sent me to this sugya, and I don't know if it will like sum up this text journey in a neat knot, but it was really interesting to me. It's from Chagiga 12a. So the Gemara is discussing creation. Rav Yehuda said that Rav said 10 things were created on the first day of creation, and they are heaven and earth, tohu and vohu, aka the unformed and the void, light and darkness, wind and water, the length of day, and the length of night. So this is sort of our starting statement, naming the 10 things that are created on the first day. And the interesting part for you and I is that tohu and vohu, which we usually understand in the verse in Genesis just to mean that basically everything was formless and void and like fucked up before God did creation. Rav Yehuda said that Rav said tohu and vohu are two definite things. 
that God created on this day. Oh. Rather than the absence of things. Oh. And all of this is derived from Torah. Heaven and earth, that is written, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Tohu and vohu, as it is written, and the earth was unformed and void. Tohu vavohu. Light and darkness, yada yada, goes on to continue these proofs for all the different things that were created. And then he explains, it was taught in the Tosefta, Tohu is a green line which encompasses the entire world and from which darkness emerges. As it is stated, he made darkness his hiding place round about him, from Psalms 18.12, indicating that a line of darkness surrounds the world. Vohu, these are damp stones submerged in the depths from which water emerges. As it is stated, and he shall stretch over the line of Tohu and the stones of Vohu, which is from Isaiah 34.11, which demonstrates that Tohu is a line and Vohu is referring to stones. So... The reason Jastro brought us here is because the verb they use to describe the line of darkness which surrounds the world, that mm. verb surrounds there is from the same root as mikvah, which really brings back themes of season two when we talked about the sort of withdrawal of God in order to create the world and how, in a sense, God was pregnant with themselves because they both contain reality and permeate it thinking about this line of darkness like really brought that back that vibe for me then vohu the second thing basically like stones in the depths from which water originates also feel really connected to the deep mikvah that alan and nadia are going to oh i have even fucking <laughs> but we can stop we can pause here for a second okay okay a green line why is it green i'm not sure exactly why it's green part of me wonders sometimes if you're awake in the very early uh, dawn it can seem kind of green when the sun is coming up on the horizon so i wonder if that could be a factor but yeah i don't i don't quite know why green is the color that was making me think about you were saying that blue was really connected to divinity in this show which i think it is and that made me wonder about green and and what's up with that yeah oh okay 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 oh, just gather. <laughs> surrounding yourself with a line of darkness i have questions but i the questions will just derail us so keep going keep going hava Okay, so the passage that they're quoting from in Isaiah is basically God talking about how bad he's going to fuck up the nations that fuck with Israel. And he's talking about their kingdoms and says, Jackdaws and owls shall possess them. Great owls and ravens shall dwell there. And he shall measure it with a line of chaos and weigh it with weights of emptiness. Oh. Which is just, I just thought that was a really cool turn of phrase and I wanted us all to hear it. Whoa. Yeah, hardcore. Wow. And finally, the final piece of Midrash that I want to bring is from Shabbat 152b. A certain apostate once said to Rabbi Ambahu, you say that the souls of the righteous are stored beneath God's throne. But if that's so, how did the witch of Endor raise up the soul of Samuel using necromancy in Torah times if his soul was no longer in the world? Because it should have been in the throne. Rabbi Abahu said to them, there it was within 12 months of his death, as it was taught in a baraita, 
For a full 12 months, a deceased person's body remains and his soul ascends and descends, such that it is sometimes in this world with its body, because our souls go up to heaven while we sleep. After 12 months, the body ceases to exist and his soul ascends to the place beneath the throne of glory and does not descend anymore. Oh, so an explanation for how it's possible to summon a soul from Sheol. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also just like thinking about where souls are stored and I don't know, it feels like Nadia and Alan's encounters with their mother and grandmother here are sort of these feel like these encounters with versions of the dead that won't exist forever. You know, like, I don't think they could come back to this place and find the same subway car with Nadia's mother in it. And that just reminded me of like, I don't know how, how this Talmud story is sort of saying like, so, you know, people's souls are sort of accessible to us for a certain amount of time. And then they move on to another place. Whether or not I agree with that metaphysically, I do feel like our memories of people are like more alive and flexible for a certain amount of time. And then they sort of get set in their ways after that amount of time has passed. Like, I feel like, for instance, immediately after I left home and my parents and I were incredibly estranged for very good reason, it would have been really easy for them to turn it around. They could have acted a different way, and my image of them as my parents could have been really different. But because it took so long for them to show even the smallest amount of change, my feeling towards them and and my sense of them as parents was like set in a different way. And I feel like that happens with all kinds of memories and and traumas i don't know sometimes time passing makes it easier to heal but i guess it just i don't know something about this feels connected to that like sometimes we have a moment of access to the soul or the memory of of someone in our lives that passes after enough time idk i had a bunch to bring and a bunch to say the world is surrounded with a line of darkness souls move on after a certain amount of time God is a mikvah, which we are always in, and therefore always being purified, we're just not conscious of it. Mm -hmm. All of that feels resonant with the themes of this show and the themes of our lives. There's no sort of like sermon style way for me to like wrap it up in a neat lesson, but all of those details feel relevant. I'm quiet because I'm stewing in it all. I'm just stewing and stewing and stewing. Like a mikvah, stewing in the soup pot. If anything, if Jewish mythology is for anything, what I've learned is it's for creating middle-brow dramas on Netflix. And I feel like the material you've given me is good for that, at least. Like, I can now write my script pilot somehow based on some of the things you've told me. Just interesting ideas Mm. there. I like the idea of putting limits on what sides of a spirit we can interact with at a certain time like Mm -hmm. we can't access what it's like to be our you know eight-year-old selves right now because we're Mm -hmm. not eight years old anymore so maybe at a certain time in our life in a certain time and place we can only access certain spirit perhaps that's just an interesting idea to explore that's what i'm attaching to right now wow water korach sheol firmament lines lines damp stones damp stones 
mikvah, gathering, separating, pregnancy with yourself. Pregnancy with God. God's pregnancy with themselves. Yeah. You know? The past. The future. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming together, baby. Oh, my God. Um. Okay. Wow. Thanks, Hava. Yeah. My pleasure. I also brought a little something Korach adjacent. Okay. That yeshiva scene where they're talking about Korach made me think about Sheol and how they're kind of maybe in like a Sheol state of the universe right now. It's like the whole world has descended mm -hmm. into Sheol, which is now making me think of how there's definitely Midrash where people describe like civilizations falling down into Sheol, like the Egyptian well. civilization falling down into Sheol. That's kind of interesting. But I was curious if there were any other interesting references to Sheol and if there were any other people that were living people besides Korach, Nadia and Alan, and Nadia and Alan, who like <laughs> right. actually Famous went Famous Torah characters, Nadia and Alan. And so I found this interesting legend, which has been translated in a book called Legends of the Jews, which I've talked okay. about before. It's a four-volume book that organizes a lot of Midrash from a lot of different places in chronological order. Okay. And so this is a little tiny bit of Midrash for you. It is a law that when their time has come, all the fish of the sea must betake themselves to Leviathan and mm -hmm. let the monster devour them. Oh. So we've learned about this kind of before. We had the sea goat episode a long time ago that had the sign that says it's going to swim into the mouth of the Leviathan. I don't remember that, but sea goat was a long time ago. Okay, so apparently when fish are near their end, they just go into Leviathan and Leviathan eats Got them. it. Okay, the life term of Jonah's fish was about to expire, and the oh. fish warned Jonah of what was to happen. When he, with Jonah in his belly, came to Leviathan, the prophet said to the monster, For thy sake I came hither. It was meet that I should know thine abode, for it is my appointed task to capture thee in the life and to come and slaughter thee for the table of the just and the pious. When Leviathan observed the sign of the covenant on Jonah's body... His dick. His dick, yes. He fled... <laughs> Let's just be clear. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I don't know how this worked. Did Jonah come out of the fish? <laughs> just his dick. Just his dick poked out of the fish? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But the Leviathan fled affrighted, and Jonah and the fish were saved. To show his gratitude, the fish carried Jonah whithersoever there was a sight to be seen. He showed him the river from which the ocean flows, showed him the spot at which the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, showed him Gehenna and Sheol, and many other mysterious and wonderful place. Well, shit. So I always thought Jonah was having a miserable time in the belly of the fish, but no, now it sounds no, like no. Jonah was having a grand old time. No, no, he was having a good time. Actually, before this, it says, the fish was so large, the prophet was as comfortable inside him as he would be in a spacious synagogue. <laughs> and the eyes of the fish served Jonah as windows. Oh my god. And there was a diamond which shone as brightly as the sun at midday so that Jonah could see all the things in the sea 
down to the very bottom. So he was having a grand well, I, old time. I was with it for a second until he said there was a diamond that shone midday. If I was in a room as big as only as big as the synagogue and there was a light source as bright as the sun at midday in yeah, that room, I, that would be pretty fucked up. Yeah, there's a grow up in the in the whale's tummy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Gives a whole new meaning to the term floodlights. It does. It does actually. Wow. Okay. Uh, the Mishnah goes on and says that God wanted him to like repent, you know, but uh-huh, he was so right. cozy that he didn't. So then God, <laughs> God sent another fish, a fish mom with tons of fish babies mm-hmm. that were all swimming inside the fish mom. The fish mom was like, "You have to give Jonah over to me. This is God's will." And the Leviathan comes and says, "I heard God say this to the fish mom. So yeah, hand over Jonah to this new fish." So then. They put Jonah in the new fish, right? So they shotgun Jonah. <laughs> yeah. They... <laughs> oh, yeah. You yeah. always bring the best stuff, Michael. No, that's not true. That's okay. Yeah, they shotgun they Jonah. They shotgun hit Jonah. And so Jonah is now made uncomfortable because he's crowded in there with all the little baby fish, <laughs> and that's when he's he used to being an only child. Now he has to share his room. With a bunch of fish. Yeah. Then God is like, okay, now go, you can spit up Jonah. So it's like, <laughs> God is like pushing Jonah along. Like, come on, get your shit together. Get right. your shit together. Jonah says a failure to launch. God is like, you're an adult. You got to stop living in my fish. Get your <laughs> get own apartment, out. Jonah. Get a job. <laughs> it really is. Go work very at Best silly. Buy, Jonah. <laughs> Jonah is like the ultimate fail son. Right with like all the resources that anyone could want he gets to see the underworld he gets to see sheol he gets to see i everything. know he's a he's a nepo baby he is a nepo baby he is totally a nepo baby <sighs> but i was thinking about what these four people have in common korach nadia alan and jonah what's the similarities between these characters they're all the ones that got to see sheol alive i think they're all flawed in various ways right yeah i mean i the fish belly was definitely a crucible of change for jonah i mean once god lit a fire under his butt a fish fire yeah for korach i mean it's korach is such a interesting story because unlike the rest of them korach is sort of unwillingly sucked down to Sheol and as a punishment, essentially. And I've read, I can't remember the citation for this Midrash because it was just offhand in another book I read, but there was a citation for a Midrash that basically said, like, there is a crack where you can go in Palestine and go hear the voices of Korach calling out from the depths. I read that too. In the Talmud, one of the rabbis says they met a dude who showed them the spot and he put like wet wool down in the hole and it came out dry. Right. So they're in fucking hell, basically. Yeah. And they say Jews don't believe in hell. Yeah. I don't know. They all seem so different to me. All of their experiences of the realm of the dead feel so distinct. This Sheol place interesting people get to go there very interesting right complex people korach is very punk rock and jonah is kind of a whiny nepo baby mm-hmm. alan and nadia are our beloved heroes normal people who struggle right um sheol just interesting mull mull on sheol yeah i mean your jonah story makes it feel even more womb-like yeah yeah overall yeah, yeah. sometimes literally you know, a fish womb. Yeah, a fish womb, yeah. A fish with a view. Uh- <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
Shine bright like a diamond. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. I just think of so many good fish jokes. I think that's a great place to end off. This is Russian Doll. We finished this it. This is Russian Doll. This is the final layer of the Montreushka has been taken out, and we found the void within. Yes, the tiny peanut at the center of the Matryoshka doll. And this is it. I can't believe we made it. Thank you all for coming along on that journey with us. Next week, I'm not sure what we're doing yet, but it'll be something and it'll be cool. Yeah, it'll be You're going to love it. Thank you for coming along with us on this Russian doll journey. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for saying cute things on Patreon and liking my unhinged tweets. And we will talk to you all next week. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.